It has been a privilege to lead the FCC in an acting capacity during these past 10 months. So much about the last year has been new and complex as this strange virus has changed our lives. But it has demonstrated with total clarity that we need modern communications to reach us all. Chairwoman Rosenworcel testifies before the Senate Commerce Committee as she seeks reconfirmation to continue serving on the FCC. REC, FCC Today, BG Bradley. This is FCC Today, the podcast for Wednesday, November 17, 2021. FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel testified today before the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation to seek reconfirmation to serve on the FCC after being nominated by President Joe Biden. We will have more of her opening remarks in just a moment. Many of the questions from senators attending the hearing were related to broadband access in rural areas, universal service funding, and robocalls. Meanwhile, because of her strong support for net neutrality, Republican resistance against Biden's other pick, Gigi Sohn, is starting to grow. In a tweet, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina labeled Sohn as, quote, a complete nightmare for the country where it comes to regulating the public airwaves and that he will do everything within his power to convince colleagues on both sides of the aisle to reject Sone, who he refers to as, quote, an extreme nominee. In a recent editorial, the Wall Street Journal fears Sone would become a media censor. Ars Technica writes that in the journal article, they claimed that Sone hinted at deploying the agency's regulatory power to censor conservative media and revive a version of the former fairness doctrine. The administration is taking the direction of fast-tracking the Rosenworcel nomination, which does have bipartisan support, but postponing the Sone nomination. This could mean that the FCC will remain in a 2-2 deadlock for longer than expected. Here's more from Chair Rosenworcel's opening remarks, as well as other statements made during today's session. I know the FCC staff are up to this task. They are an exceptional group of public servants, and I think public service is a special calling. I think communications technologies are the infrastructure of opportunity. These are the connections, physical and digital, that can strengthen our mutual bonds. They can grow our economy and create new jobs. They help us work, learn, be informed, enlightened, and entertained. And we also need these connections to break down barriers that for too long have held too many back. I think the FCC does all of this best when its work honors the essential values in our communications laws. That means public safety is paramount. New technologies touch every aspect of our lives. We need them to be secure and resilient. That means universal service. No matter who you are or where you live in this country, urban, rural, or anything in between, you need access to modern communications to have a fair shot at digital age success. That means competition because it is the most effective way to foster innovation and make sure the public reaps its benefits. And it means an absolutely fierce commitment to consumer protection. I think at the FCC, we have put these values into practice over the last 10 months. With the support of my colleagues, we've worked on a bipartisan basis to set up the nation's largest ever broadband affordability program, known as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, which now has 7.5 million households enrolled. We worked together to launch the Emergency Connectivity Fund, the first nationwide effort to close the homework gap so no child is left offline. We have made historic investments in telehealth, technology all across the country, 
And we've kicked off a major auction of mid-band spectrum in the 3.45 gigahertz band, which is vital for our leadership in 5G wireless service. And to ensure that our networks now and in the future are secure, just a few weeks ago, we successfully started the nation's first-ever Secure and Trusted Communications Networks Reimbursement Program so that network providers can remove and replace vulnerable equipment. This is a lot, but there is more work to do. We need to make sure 100% of this country has access to fast, affordable, and reliable broadband. That means every household, every business, every consumer, everyone, everywhere. And to do this, we will need greater coordination across federal, state, local, and tribal governments. We need a renewed vigilance to make sure our communications networks are safe and secure. We also need to foster innovation across the board to ensure that the technological leadership of the United States continues on a global stage. If confirmed, it will be an honor to lead this charge. And if confirmed, I pledge to listen to this committee, which not that long ago I had the great honor of serving as counsel. So I know deep in my bones how important it is for each of you to have a good relationship with the agency. And if confirmed, I pledge more broadly to listen to the Congress, those with business before the FCC, and above all, the American people. You may only call 911 once in your life, but it's going to be the most important call you ever make. And when you make it, you absolutely want first responders to find you. And we are on the cusp of updating 911 in this country to next generation 911, which will provide so much more functionality than just traditional voice. It could be video, data, and information that can help public safety address your needs when they arrive. And I think the way to do that is we're going to need to standardize our definitions of next generation 911. We're going to have to identify new funding sources. Traditionally, this has been done at the local level, and this probably needs a federal boost. Mm-hmm. And in addition, we're going to have to continue work to make sure that wireless call result in public safety being able to find you in a snowstorm or in a building or anywhere you might be using that device to reach out for help. Because for too long, the FCC has been working off maps that are not accurate, that overstate where broadband is in this country, which means that we don't send dollars to the right places. Right. So I want you to know right after I took over, we got to work on this immediately and in The summer, in early August, we produced the nation's best ever wireless maps. We worked with the carriers to build a prototype for the Broadband Data Act. And you can go on the FCC's website right now, look up your address, and you will find data that is light years better than anything you might have seen from the agency before or anything you might get if you walk into a store and try to purchase a handset. With the the regulation on net neutrality that was repealed under the last administration. It, it, it seems to me we did better than Europe under the light touch appropriation, uh, under the light touch regulation. Broadband usage increased significantly and companies invested in broadband in America. Unlike in Europe, we did not have to ask providers to throttle service or take other measures to reduce traffic. Can you tell us what, if any, disadvantages occurred to our country or to consumers when we repealed the Obama administration net neutrality rules? Or am, am I correct that uh, we had a lot more build, uh, build out and, um, and uh, no throttling or measures to reduce traffic? Uh, thank you for the question. I think you know that I support net neutrality. I supported it in 2015, and then I opposed the rollback in 2017. I continue to support it. 
Uh, I think the investment record is something we always have to pay attention to, because as we develop rules at the FCC, we've got to be mindful what the impact is on infrastructure in this country. That being said, I think the impact of the rollback in 2017 is broader than just net neutrality, because it took the FCC away from oversight of broadband. And coming out of this pandemic, I think, you know, all of us know that we need some oversight because it's become such an essential service for day-to-day life. When I was growing up, I didn't need an internet connection to do my homework. It was paper, pencil, and I got to make sure my brother would stay out of the room. Uh, that's Those days are gone. Every child needs an internet connection to fully participate in school. We knew that before this pandemic, but this pandemic has shined a light on it like nothing else. In the United States, we don't need to have children sitting in the parking lot outside of fast food restaurants just to attend the virtual class. And I am really pleased that at the FCC we've been able to make some meaningful difference because of the Emergency Connectivity Fund, which is a fund that this Congress helped set up to close the homework gap. We have distributed funding for connections for school kids to more than 7,000 schools and 600 libraries. We're making a meaningful difference. How many kids remain unconnected? So the numbers that we have from the pandemic were almost 17 million. I think that we have reduced that number with this program, but I don't think we can stop until every child has the opportunity to go online for class. We all need local journalism to make decisions about our lives, our communities, and our country. And yet over the last decade and a half, we know that nearly 2,000 newspapers have shuttered. It is getting harder and harder to find economic models that give us the news we need. So I think the kind of tax credits that are involved with payroll or with the production of local news journalism are essential for its future. I also think that restoring the minority media tax credit would be a beneficial way to encourage small businesses and people of color to take over the ownership of local radio and television stations. That is, I know, a bill that's also pending before the Congress right now. I think we're going to need a whole lot of little tools to make that happen. There's not one big single answer, but I think we have to invest in them because journalism and local journalism is so important. Robocalls are a nuisance. They're awful. They're annoying. And in the last several years, they have really grown. We need to trust our communications networks. And with these calls, people don't want to pick up the phone. So what we've done at the agency since I've been leading it in an acting capacity is we have done a lot more enforcement. We now issue cease and desist letters to anyone that we think is issuing robocalls and tell them they have 48 hours to knock it off or we'll tell all other carriers to block their traffic. We also have turned to technology. We have now enforced stir, shaken call authentication technology on our networks nationwide. We are starting to notice that more calls are coming from overseas, so we're starting up new gateway policies to make sure that we can stop them before they hit our shores. But I will tell you that scam artists move fast. They move faster than regulators and legislators. And if there were two things that I think are necessary to do next, I would make it these. Uh, The Supreme Court this year had a decision in Facebook v. Dugid where it decided to narrow the definition of autodialer. And that matters because it limits the agency and private rights of action against robocalls. It's a technocratic decision, but it's got real-world impact. And the second thing is this is not a problem that's new at the FCC, but it's longstanding. And that's that we will issue fines. Under my leadership, we've had the largest fine ever under the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, the largest fine ever under the Truth in Caller ID Act to go after bad actors who are robocalls. But then I need to turn to the Department of Justice for civil enforcement action. And I think we have to not just find these bad actors, we have to take them to court and collect. 
And so I would like assistance working with the Department of Justice to make this a priority, or possibly even give the FCC some civil enforcement authority so we can take these um, bad actors to court, uh, because I think we need to engage in more, uh, more of those efforts to make sure we have adequate deterrence and retribution when it comes to these nuisance calls. We do have a suicide crisis in this country. The rates for teen girls are three times higher than they've been over the last 20 years. It's true for uh, young people of color, LGBTQ youth, and um, our veterans and more first responders die annually by suicide than in the line of work. Uh, We can do better by them, and we should. We have long-standing had a toll-free number for them to call, but moving it to a three-digit code is a way to make it more accessible to more people. I'm especially proud that this week the FCC will vote on making it texting accessible. I think for young people in particular, that's their native language. It's not picking up the phone and talking. And so we will continue to work with uh, the VA and DHS to make sure that they have the resources needed to answer those calls, however they come in. And I think we're going to have to continue to discuss with them how we make sure that people get the specialized care they might need in that moment of need. And it's really important for our democracy that we all get the news that we need to make decisions about the communities where we live. And I think that goes to the heart of spectrum licenses for broadcasting because the duty under law is for those licensees to serve the community that they're in. And I think the FCC over time is going to have to figure out more ways to encourage them to use that license to truly serve that community because um, that is a resource we have for news in the world today and we need to make sure that we support it. You've been listening to FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel speaking today to the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science and Transportation, including portions of her opening statement as well as answers to questions regarding issues such as Next Generation 911 Service, Rural Broadband Availability Maps, Net Neutrality, Universal Broadband Service, Tax Credits for Local Media, Robocalls, the 988 Suicide Lifeline, and Broadcast Localism. FCC Today. FCC Today, the podcast is available through the REC websites, recnet.com and fcc.today. It's also available through Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Audible, iHeartMedia, and other podcast providers. Podcasts are produced as news happens, so make sure you are subscribed. Our comment line is 202-963-0852 or email us at fcctoday at recnet.com. This has been a presentation of REC Networks. This is Michelle Bradley, SBE Certified Broadcast Technologist. Thank you for listening. REC. REC. REC.